to the Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Euronation, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden, filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb. And this week we have... Emma Phillips joining you from Bidjigal land. Coach Kiwi coming to you from Wurundjeri country. Tracy Kick coming to you from Durable land. Now, before we get into this week's topics, I just need to point out something. Everyone's name looks right here. Hang on. Coach Kiwi, Tracy Kick. Do I spot something different? Dr. Emma <laughs> Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in. Hooray, I've been so much Can better. I give you a call, Emma? Yeah. G- give me a call. Yep, if you feel yep, yep, I'll I'll treat that headache for you. Um it's Thank Dr. You. Phil from now on, by the way. So I think we can turn this into um some sort of a mid time midday, you know, help out all the all those who are in need of help in their families <laughs> or similar. Plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> or as I've said during the week, PhD stands for flip in high definition. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about what we've prescribed for this week. And we have got a match review because, yes, we did have one game of football, a qualifying final between the Brisbane Lions and Collingwood up at the Gabba. We will talk about who is now going to the G to take on the Melbourne Football Club, plus who's playing at Adelaide Oval. Uh, yes, there is a match report and a suspension as we record. Uh, we talk about the Rising Stars, who may take out the NAB AFLW Rising Star for this year. And plus, there's now a vacancy at the GWS Giants. But let's begin, first of all, with the Gabba. We have to go to the Lions expert extraordinaire, Tracy Kick. You are through to a preliminary final. And ironically, the last AFLW game, albeit an exhibition game, was between technically a team wearing Melbourne jumpers and a team wearing the Brisbane Lion jumpers. And who would thought, Tracy Kick, six years later, we're playing a preliminary final between these two sides? I know, I almost booked it, an air, air trip to uh, Sydney, but uh, unfortunately I'd already just booked a flight to visit my mother. <laughs> so I'm like gutted. But uh, I'm hoping you know, I'll be going to Adelaide, Brisbane or Fremantle um, or, or Perth uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, look, great game of footy. Obviously Collingwood, um, you know, underdone in terms of their their health and safety protocols and their personnel. Um, but the Lions contested footy, you know, and their, their pressure shone through. Um, I actually think that the Lions are a little bit scrappy at times. Um, and so I, I would like to think that they'll have a look at that and think about against Melbourne with their sharp skills. I, I know that Brisbane's pressure is unbelievable. So it's very hard to to do your beautiful kicking, marking, contest, you know, um, controlled footy game. Um, so I'm sure they'll interrupt Melbourne. But um, in terms of the the game itself, um, some outstanding performances, I thought. Um, there were just a couple of, of absolute ripper moments, but Aura Dwyer was sensational. I think she had 17 touches to half time. She was absolutely flying, I think, with her parents and or her mum and her sister in the stand. So um, she had actually put on a, a clinic. Um, a 55-metre goal, Trace, as well. Oh, the 55-metre goal, that was fantastic. There was another one that just uh, went through the point, 
point post as well. Um, but, you know, Cathy Spark kept Jamie Lambert, I think, to 13 touches um, all over the ground. Again, they were lightning. I just, I worry sometimes that just when they go inside 50, the chaos, the kind of the playing the chaos game, I just don't think, I think they need to hit up Jesse Wardlaw a bit more and they need a little bit more structure around their leads. They, like the men, they bomb it in, same same game plan almost. It drives me a little bit crazy, but um, but we'll see how they go. But, yeah, what are your reflections on the game, Dr Flip and Kiwi? <laughs> I'm just I'm sort of enjoying your bubbly report here, Trace. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice when your team gets this deep into finals. I mean, you should revel in it. You're trying to keep a lid on things, but let's lift it. <laughs> I mean, they're good. You, your, your lot are great to watch, as I keep saying this, but, you know, I think I agree they're a little fumbly and probably, um, you know, not their clean clinical selves, but, gee, if you can say that and still have a 50-point win in a qualifying final, you're doing all right, aren't you, you know? And they won across the ground. They won in every department, I think, except for something like handballs, you know, which Collingwood won. And, that look, they just overpossessed and were under that immense pressure and coughed the ball up pretty easily, Collingwood. So I think that's, that's very telling. Um, you know, uh, just you could start naming Brisbane Lions players and who was great outside of all O'Dwyer. But again, it's the same thing. I feel like how do they ever choose which five or six to put in their best because they are such a level team, the Lions, as well as having a number of absolute class all across the ground. But just they play as a team and I think that puts them in really, really good stead for, you know, for the big one perhaps. Kerry, what did you see? Um, yeah, look, I think, um, you know, we all know that was not the Collingwood team that we sort of talked about at the beginning of the year and, and how they were going to, you know, contest for perhaps a premiership. Um, and so I think you always knew that Lions are pretty comfortable going into this game. And I think from the get-go, they provided so much ball going forward and really – you know, they could have got four or five goals up in that first quarter if it wasn't for some, you know, really – probably, I don't know if they were nerves or just some real rushes at goal. And, and even um, Soph Conway's one, that, you know, give it to your mate who's standing there free. You know, there's a little bit of greed in that, um, which has started – it kind of looks like it started to seep into the game. There's There are a couple of times around um, inside 30 that they perhaps could have used a teammate in a better position and they didn't. They opted to go alone and or go themselves and, and um, you know, not always get, get the big score. And, and it's a little bit different when you come to teams like Adelaide. They're very, very good at making use of the player who's close to the goal or in a better position. So – um, you know, maybe it was just the way they were and they were always on top of it that they felt they could have the goal themselves and maybe when they come against the likes of Dees or Crows or that further down the track, that could adjust. Um, but, you know, Collingwood put up a fight. They put up they put up a fight with the football um, and they, they did seem to go – they tried to go really direct and find the gaps through the contest. So, you know, those really short, sharp handballs, they were really good around that area to get the ball going – um, you know, right up the corridor. They didn't use their width too much, um, whereas in the past, I think Colin would have been very good at moving the ball out wide and switching lanes. And, and you know, apart from the back line, it was almost like the rest of the field or the rest of the team at Collingwood was just told, go narrow. <laughs> but, you know, 
stuck her at Stacey Livingston at the back. You know, she tried to switch and it cost them and, you know, just things like that when they're trying to open the play up. But, um, but you know, Lions were just solid and, you know, we talk about Ola Edouard. She's just one another, another one of these Irish players and, you know, we'll get another one later in our fifth quarter who have just done outstanding coming over and learning this game and, you know, what a contributor she is for Lions. You know, they've got great ball users all around the field and then they've got Ola, like incredible, incredible watch. Um, and then the other fights are all the little niggles on the field. Like it was, it was just on from the go. And um, and I don't think the umpires were on top of it. Mm. And I think well, a few reports fact, came out of it, didn't it? Kiwi, a few or reports came out of it. Reviews? Absolutely. Um, um, you know, now that you mentioned that, I think Ruby Spark is um, out for next week. Um, and Sarah Rowe also for and next Sarah Rowe season. was out for a week, and Ali Anderson got a four hundred dollars reprimand. reprimand. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I mean, it's I guess it's what they've done through the season. I thought a couple of them probably really weren't much at all to then go to that level compared to other things that happened in the game. Um, but yeah, it was just you know, there's it, both these teams have got some niggly players, and they just continue to go on and on and on. And the umpires just did not stop it at all, not control it at all. And um, you know, and I'm certain both teams will probably go off afterwards, and that'll be part of their review about how they could have applied more pressure at the ball instead of at the player. Because um, I think when Lions come against Demons, I don't really see Demons having those kind of stirrers in the team. So I think what you're going to get is just a different style of football and a different, probably cleaner cleaner game in that respect. But um, tough way for Collingwood to end. And um, same as last year. It was um, Lions that knocked Collingwood out in this round last year. So um, two seasons in a row, but different personnel and... Um, you know, hopefully no serious injuries out of this game because Imogen Barnett, I thought early in the game, was going to be ruled out with a concussion but came back on. So um, stoked for her. Kiwi, two things, yeah, absolutely. The niggle. Um, I've got to say, I think Dakota Davidson's got to be one of the greatest shit-stirrers in the game. She's <laughs> such a character. She comes um, across like the person who'd drive down the street splashing puddles at everyone, like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, um, and agree also that the lines were wasteful, you know, in the first quarter and, you know, that that's something they'll want to look at, I'm sure, going into into next week's game because they've really got to capitalise once you you know, once you're deep in finals, those those misses, especially a couple of the ones running into open goal, um, could be really costly. Well let's talk about next week. We have preliminary finals at the MCG and Adelaide Oval. Melbourne have not played football in three weeks, although they did play quite a number of AFLW footballers for the Casey Demons on Sunday at Casey Fields. More of their fringe players, obviously, to keep them match fit. The question is, can Melbourne get up and win? Even though it's their home ground, in theory, it'll be their first time as a squad playing on the MCG after a three-week wait and maybe the nerves getting to them because Melbourne have always seemed to fail at this hurdle, getting through to the grand final... Brisbane, as you keep saying, Tracy, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> anywhere, well, you reckon, anytime, Trace, anywhere, anytime. Are they done the Ds? Uh, <laughs> look, I think it'll be a fantastic game. Um, you know, it, Brisbane will bring that that pressure I was just talking about before, and you know, I think it makes it hard to execute. You know, a really good 
um, controlled ball game that I think the D's normally have. So it'll be it'll be really a fantastic game of football. Um, Brisbane's defence wasn't really tested at all um, this week, so that'll be you know that's going to be more of a test I think in terms of shutting down you know, shutting down Taylor Harris and, you know, keeping Daisy quiet and, and co. And, um, you know, Ruby Spark will be a loss because even though she was an in-and-out player at the beginning, you know, in and out of the side, she's really cemented her role and her rundown tackles, like her pure speed. She won the 100 metres, however long the sprint is, at the grand final last year. Um, she's an unbelievably quick player and... Um, so losing her, you know, it will be a little element of that that really speedy group of players. But, um, yeah, so um, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, you know, whether Alyssa Bannon and, and others can, you know, use their wheels down the outside and, and run into goal. So it's going to be a great game. I think um, I think Brisbane will have to just be a little steadier. I think they, like you said, Kiwi, they're a little bit frantic last week and I don't know if that's because they'd come off a week not playing um, or they were excited because they were playing at the Gabba or whatever. I just think that they didn't show as much kind of control um, but I'm sure that that'll, that'll be different come next week too. Well, interestingly, the last time Brisbane and Melbourne met was round seven and Melbourne won by three points in a really tight affair and since then Brisbane have won really well pretty much in every one of the games they've played. It's just been like walking the park. And admittedly, they've had some tough opposition, so it's not like they've just had easy wins. Um, but I wonder whether they are, you know, the tail's up and they're certainly, you know, in, in full flight. But when Melbourne play that controlled game, they can absorb the pressure well. And I was sort of thinking like you were, Trace, about, well, you know, if anyone's going to break that down, it'll be Brisbane. Um, but Melbourne do really handle that pressure very well and can sort of break down the mental fortitude of their opposition with that kind of chip game. So that will, I just look, I'm, I'm fascinated by this game. I don't think the three week break is going to help anyone in Melbourne or, or the Crows. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Tough one to, to really call, isn't it? Fascinating match. Three points last time they met. So here we go. Yeah, Melbourne um, actually had um, in the VFLW, they're, they're only allowed 10 AFLW players drop down. So they got a dispensation this week. So they had 15 players drop down. And poor Southern Saints who feed up St Kilda, who currently have no players dropping down apart from Lucy Burke, copped a, you know, this team from Casey Demon. So um, so a big chunk of them came out and had a run in the weekend. So um, got a bit of run in their legs. But, you know, the, my other thing is, They've earned this home final, right? And I feel like as much as we're all excited, there's a women's match on at the G, it's not really – it's not their home ground. They train across the road anyway, but they don't actually go into this field. So I don't feel like there's a home ground advantage. And um, and probably the only thing hopefully that they might use in their weaponry going forward is that the last time they played in a big stadium, they played some high-quality football and absolutely flogged one of our other top four teams. So, um, you know, maybe maybe they'll use that as, as something to take into this game. But, um, but you know, I, I think I'm just excited to see these two teams come against each other. I think the way they play is just some really clean, pure football. You've got species all over the park. Even without Ruby Spark, you've still got some very 
you know, her other sister, that other girl that plays. <laughs> She's pretty quick. She's pretty quick. Um, but, you know, the, both teams have got some really speed players. They're really good users of the football. They've got some um, really good, clear structures in the way that they move the ball forward and um, and provide some really good opportunities for their forward line. So um, it's, it's going to be a tough game, apart from you, Trace, the rest of us to probably tip um, who may come out on top, but um, but yeah, I'm excited to see it. And I think there was a little um, hashtag from a few years ago that should be recycled because recycling things is the trend. So let's hashtag fill the G. Oh, yes. Get out and go. And, and I've told my Sandrian girls in our reviews tonight, all of their reviews, I'll meet you at the G at 12 on Saturday. So um, if I can get my girls down, every other coach and um, supporter and player, get your team, get your family, get everyone down and let's fill the G. Well, Kim, realistically, this is a great chance, isn't it, for the AFL to put posters up all over Melbourne, just paint the town with the fact that this match is on and, you know, get bums on seats. And we all know how well that kind of marketing work, what what that kind of marketing work does to getting bums on seats. So I'm curious to know whether you've seen anything around town like that. Silence is golden. That's right. Because because let's face it, I mean, at Adelaide Oval, we've had massive crowd. Optus, you know, that game, massive crowd. Um, We haven't really proven it in Melbourne yet because there's never, well, there's never been a home grand final in Melbourne, Mm. you know, in in recent years. I'll tell you what the problem is. The really big problem is all community footy starts this weekend. VAFA starts on the Saturday. So that's grades of football and a lot of probably female fans who play the game, would have been at this game, are out because it's round one and they need to go. And other community comps are doing grading matches this week. So yeah, that's a real shame. Um, it is a real shame that they couldn't just defer that mm. um, or that night the game. AFL couldn't put this as a night game or something for the woman. Uh, one more quick thing on this. Speaking of crowd numbers, the, the Gabba held – 2,000, sorry, 675 for the match we just saw on the weekend, Collingwood and Brisbane. Were we disappointed by that for a final? I was. Mm. Expect I was. a few more? You know, given that they're, they're the premiers um, and given that it was at the Gabba, which is central and it's easy to get to, mm. um, I think um, I would have loved to see a few more. I would have thought they would have eclipsed 5,000. Let's you know, that's my kind of thing. But also I don't know, again, what effort, you know, what effort did the AFL put into it? You know, it was a rescheduled game, so a lot of people wouldn't have even really known. If people don't really follow the AFLW that closely. It's going to be the diehard fans that knew mm. it was on. Um, yeah, I just think we've got to do more to to drive that those numbers. And, and if Adelaide and Perth can do it, um, it's doable. It's just it's all in the marketing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Just quickly, we hadn't actually touched on the Crows versus the Fremantle Dockers. The Crows have also had three weeks off. Fremantle have had two weeks off after beating North. Sorry, Emma. Um, and, no, you're and, not, Peter, are you? <laughs> absolutely not, Dr. Marshmallow. As we as we look at the Adelaide side, they've taken this very seriously. In fact, a few weeks ago, Erin Phillips, who normally does a breakfast radio show in Adelaide, was in fact doing it from the renter RV van that they had at the front yard of her house because she was taking – she didn't have COVID, but she was taking isolation very seriously, wanted no chance – catching COVID so she could absolutely play in this game. Adelaide are fired up. Do you think Fremantle stand a chance against an Adelaide side that's seeking redemption for last year? 
Does she just not like a co-host maybe? <laughs> that is also bad. And she could use that as an excuse and any one of her teammates, go out, get coffee, come to training, anything could happen. But anyway, good on you, Erin. Is there too much pressure on the Crows, do we think? Have they taken themselves so seriously given the nature of, you know, certain superstar players probably leaving the redemption factor, you know, the home ground possibility, all the, the big romantic fairy tale. I don't know. Are they taking it too seriously? Are they investing too much? And when it comes game time, well, the Frio haven't got that much to lose, I think, compared with the Crows. I reckon they're a shot. Frio have got nothing to lose. Yeah, they just, I reckon they will just go for it. Too. I yeah. reckon they're a shot. I, I don't think it's probable, but it's likely. Mm. It, 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 no. I don't think it's likely. It's likely, but probable. probable. Sorry, <laughs> Possible. Dr. Phillips, my brain isn't working. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I think that, like, you, you're right, they've got nothing to lose. And when they get going, you know, they can they can cause a bit of havoc, you know, yeah. because they move the ball very quickly when they get going. It'll be whether or not they can, um, you know, I guess ruin the control. Again, it's a little bit not similar not dissimilar to the Brisbane um, Melbourne game in that you're looking at sort of team teams that Frio and Brisbane, I think their game style is more like more alike, and Melbourne and Adelaide's is perhaps mm. more alike. Yes, well. yeah, good observation. Mm. Let's. Look- I think I think both these teams, um, like they're made for these big stadiums too, and and you know I think I think. This is an even matchup, the Crows Frio, similar to the Demons and the Lions matchup. And and what we've got, I reckon, is absolutely the top four mm. all season. And these would have been four, and everyone's calculations are who was going to win at the end of the year. And um, despite that, we did still have two pools. They just had one ladder for the two pools because they're not playing everyone. We have got the four best teams, and um, and either match, you can't really pick a clear winner or clear margin from either match and it could go either way and you know perhaps you think crows at home and because of all those factors that could that be a potential port adelaide's coach playing their last match in crows colors and um you know and perhaps a few other players moving across so um you know is is this the season that they go out on a high um, you know, we don't know all the other things that are on the line there. And, and Frio, they get to travel again. They've had a week at home. And um, they also have to be cautious of um, COVID's hit the other side of this country. So um, they have to be very careful. And, you know, that nearly wiped them out a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so yeah, so they should all be sitting in their RVs at the training field and not going home as well. But, um, but yeah, two good games this weekend. It's exciting. Let's look to the future, and the future is the rising stars of the competition. Uh, obviously announced during the W Awards will be the NAB AFLW Rising Star for season 2022, part one, we could say, if we have another season starting in August. But Gemma Bastiani has come up with the top five contenders for the rising star. And I'm, get, I'm keen to know everyone's thoughts. Is this the top five and potentially who will win it? Uh, she suggests that Mia King from North Melbourne with an average of 14.5 disposals, 2.4 inside 50s and eight, uh, is that 6.2 tackles. Uh, Alyssa Bannon, uh, she's got six goals, uh, average score of two goals a game. Uh, it, sorry, average score involvements of two a game and 8.1 disposals. Mimi Hill, who's played six games, averaging 21.5 touches and 202 metres gain. Uh, Georgia Prespark, from Geelong. She's played 10 games, averages 13 disposals, uh, six tackles, 
tackles and uh, almost three inside 50s per game. And Charlie Rowbottom, who was the number one draft pick uh, leading into this season from the Gold Coast Suns, 10 games, averages 15.7 disposals, 6.3 tackles, 3.4 clearances. Ladies, was Jim Bastiani on the money here? Is this the top five? And do you see the winner out of this top five? Kiwi, I know you've got some thoughts on this. Well, first I'm going to say... This is Gemma's stats, or these are the stats that Gemma has summarised for us. And as Tracy will say, all stats are not equal. Mm. Um, And so on here, you know, she has summarised five contenders. And, you know, you you are looking at, you know, one of them's got a metres game, one of them's got um, score involvements, one of them's got goals, one of them's got clearances. So not all stats are equal. Um, But... I look at that list and, you know, it's a pretty handy list. Like they absolutely are stars of the game. And I think as a coach, I look at also the impact. So not just the stats, you look at the impact a player would have on a match or on a team and for a season. And some of those have had some absolutely outstanding moments without a doubt. But probably for mine, I guess the two, you know, Georgie P, I think, Going into the season, we always knew she's going to be a star, but she's got some other footy smarts about her and has done a phenomenal job in that midfield at Geelong and really changed up a lot of their ball going forward and providing opportunities for forwards. And they're finally kicking goals, um, which, you know, Geelong have really struggled to kick over the years. But I, for me, top of that list is, is Charlie Rowbottom. I think she provides something in that midfield and generally – pretty much most of the sun's momentum going forward she's been involved in it but then they've also been able to put her in the forward line and she's had impact in that forward line and for those other those five players that are in this top five not many of them have played across two different lines and had really good impact and um and so that's what I kind of look at I guess is is you know where they're having the impact around the ball or you know in the team or uh, contributing on the scoreboard or the team's momentum and and so yeah for mine is Charlie Rowbottom and City Swans give her a call (laughs) (laughs) link her back up with her brother I actually agree with you, Kiwi. I think Charlie Robottom is my pick out of this lot too. And I also was a bit confounded by the way that the stats were rolled out, although, of course, each player is different. And as you say, their own stats relevant to them need to, to be in place here. But, you know, how do you split that? How do you sort out when a forward has kicked eight goals, which is a really good return from a young player versus, you know, 4.3 intercepts and 2.6 inside 50s from somebody else. I mean, how on earth do you split that? I am going to be controversial and say that Georgie Prasparkas was a tiny bit overrated this year, I think. And maybe I just got sucked into the hype. I love your face right now, Kiwi. I wish we could convey that to listeners. <laughs> um, but look, there was probably just too much hype around her at the start of the season, which is grossly unfair to her. No one was ever going to live up to that. You know, she was kind of had like best player ever, you know, halo around her. Um, she was great. Don't get me wrong. But I I don't know. I think that, that Robot might have the gong. Me King, North Melbourne, I watched obviously a lot of her and, um, you know, a fine player, going to be an excellent long-term player, I think, for the Ruse um, inside mid. But she just panics a bit under pressure. I think probably has a little way to go. And I, I would think someone like Charlie Robot just, just has the edge of class on on the others at the moment. So good call. Trace, what do you reckon? 
Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I, I probably agree with both of you. I think Charlie Rowbottom for an all-round, like as an all-round contribution to the game, I think she's made that all-round contribution. She was pivotal with the, with the Suns. You know, Zimmy Farquharson's not there. She also kicked seven goals, eight. And, uh, I knew this would happen. I can't believe it's taken this long tonight. It's just been controversial. <laughs> um, but, um, no, look, I think it'll be... I'm trying to think, rack my brain across the other teams to see if there's something, someone obvious we've missed. But I think as a as a contributor, a consistent contributor, and across a range of statistics, I think Charlie Robottom for the money is going to be pretty close. I think we should put it out on the socials to listeners just to have a go at us and say you forgot so and so from Collingwood. All the Collingwood supporters will come out and let us know. That's for sure. Maybe we need to go one from every team. There you go. Who's your one? Oh, and then we've got to go through those stats. <laughs> <laughs> You're true. <laughs> now, if anyone maybe was... we can discuss that next week. <laughs> now, if anyone was to flick through the Sydney Daily Telegraph or Sydney Morning Herald into the classified sections, they might see I don't know position vacant. The GWS Giants have announced that Alan McConnell will no longer be coaching the AFLW side. He'll remain as an employee of the GWS Giants. So I guess the question is who could it be? Who could be in the race to be the future head coach of the AFL GWS Giants, which they're going to get their skates on because if we're to believe everything AFL House is saying, we'll have a season starting in August and by theory we have a preseason starting in about two months. We just blank. <laughs> yeah, look, I think they're going to be some hard shoes to fill. Just in in regards to obviously his experience in the game and his absolute pure knowledge of the game is is pretty hard to um, to beat. But when you talk to any of the players, despite how we've looked at the game and how we've analysed the game and the results and everything, if you talk to any of the players, they tend to come across with the whole um, like connection to Alan, which is beyond just a player-coach connection. It's, it's, it is, as some may call it, the, the, the father of the team or um, what they call it, um, dad's army kind of uh, relationship, um, which was a terrible terrible terminology um but you know i think i think he gave him a little bit more and you know he gave he he really helped with that family kind of connection for the for the foreigners you know there was a lot of foreigners from over the border or from other countries that came into this side and um and so there, there was other other factors that went on inside there beyond the results and things that we see so i think that's going to be hard for the players to adjust to because six years is a long time to be in that environment and then adjust to somebody brand new coming in um so i would i would assume and i have no idea but i would assume that perhaps one of the line coaches may step up if it's kind of a system around giants. You don't think so, Trace? Oh, I don't think there's anyone in the line coaches that's that's ready for that role, to be honest. Um, I just think that, you know, I do think I do think that they'll be hard choose to fill for exactly those reasons, Kiwi. Um, and I think that they'll be looking outside. I think they will look and I think they should go fresh. I think they need to you know, we've discussed it before. I think they need to kind of freshen the approach, you know, and think about, you know, there are absolutely heaps of pros in what Alan did, but at the end of the day, 
you know, for whatever reason, you know, um, you know, five years in a row, you really didn't have any any great success um, in terms of uh, games won and lost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, depends how you measure success, but at the end of the day, I think they'll be looking to go to the next level and I think they'll be looking for someone who can do that. I don't know who that is. Trace, do you think there's anyone local that could be in line for that position? No, not that I know of, but, um, you know, I've been out of Sydney footy for a couple of years now, so I don't know uh, all of the all of the ins and outs, but I know that in the in the women's um, in the women's program in Sydney, they are struggling for coaches, absolutely mm. struggling for coaches. So I don't think it'll come from there. Um, they'll look. They'll look south, likely. You think? I think they'll look south, or they'll look at. I hate to say it, ex players, as in male players, which is my mm. fear. Can I say one name that's currently at the GWS Giants behind the scenes might make Emma's blood boil because he is from Essendon and he used to coach AFL. Mark McVay? No, James Hurd. No. James Hurd. Oh, can, can I comment on that? So, you know, you read that article, James Hurd's there to do leadership. You know, I do that for a job. James Hurd goes to GWS Giants to do leadership after... The leadership that he's shown during his, you know, coaching career is something else. So um, interesting observation, Peter Holden. You may not be wrong. Yeah, that would be a turn-up, wouldn't it? What could I say? Right? And isn't it like the Kevin Shooty originally, you know, moved yeah. in for the Giants and now heard? So there's a real Essendon flavour about Greater Western Sydney. Yeah, Mark McFay's there, you know. It, it, it's it, the Essendon Giants. It, it could be a sense of uh, as much as we might all roll our eyes at it, the AFL love a good redemption story and that's what yeah, they might try and they? roll out. But as well, he might also be a good what shall we call it, placeholder, because many have also been floating the name Alicia Eva. And I think we can all agree around here that Alicia will one day be a coach, but not now. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable comment, Peter. It's, it is inevitable and she has been coaching for a very long time and has had some has been coached by some, some excellent coaches also. Um, it's Look, she's got to be playing another five years at least, doesn't she, I would say, as long as her body holds up. Yeah, I would think that she'd play, yeah, at least another five years. Um, the other thing around Alicia is if you look at her um, top level of coaching experience, it's really around the men's space. So I think when she finishes playing, she'll actually coach in the men's game. I don't know that she'll come back and coach AFLW. It's, you know, her work is all around. She's been with the um, the men's or the boys under 18 academy. She's now with the Giants VFL team. Uh, so I think that that's, you know, prior to that, she was with the Neafel team. So I, I think that's probably where she will set her sights in that she's, you know, building up a career in, in that area. Um, can I float another name? I don't know. I presume he's still living in Sydney, but what about Heath Shaw? You know, mm. he was really involved earlier with the Giants and he absolutely loved coaching the women. He shout them a dinner or two. Ex-footballer, so he ticks that shout box. You a, shouting you a dinner at a couple of Giants teammates' um, <laughs> restaurant does not make for you a women's AFL coach, <laughs> I'm afraid. It might, you know. It's more than Nick. 
That's more than Actually, others. Actually, Emma Phillips, <laughs> spot on, and yeah. that's herein lies the issue. Oh, dear. And now on the fifth quarter, we have a very special guest joining us. She took part and won the All-Island Ladies Gaelic Football Championships 11 times. Was in fact named seven times in the Ladies Gaelic Football All-Star Awards. But more importantly, you know her from the GWS Giants. A very warm welcome to Bridge Stack. <laughs> Hi there. Thanks so much for having me on. Brid, great to have you. And before I throw it to Tracy, Emma and Kiwi, I do need to ask one question since it's probably fresh in your mind. When you were invited along by Tanya Hetherington, uh, Jasmine Grierson and a number of your other Giants teammates, the SCG, and they all told you, oh, by the way, when this guy kicks his thousandth goal, <laughs> everyone here's going to run on the ground like crazy. Did you think they were just taking the mickey here or this was actually going to be for real? Um, well, I've actually, I've been following, I've been following the AFL, I suppose, just the last couple of years since I came over. So I was well aware of Buddy Franklin before, before he ever went near a 1000 goal. And, um, yeah, I suppose there were coveted tickets definitely. And I was just so, so glad that we got one and let alone get one, but, uh, to be right pitch side was something, you know, the stuff of dreams. And, um, I suppose pitch invasions at home have become a thing of the past just for safety reasons. And no doubt probably hear the same reason, but, um, it was just one of the most incredible sporting events I was ever at. Um, I just adored it. And it was just lovely to see so much joy and exhilaration from fans um, just for, for what he has achieved. And I think to be able to do it was was brilliant. Absolutely unbelievable. Hey, Brad, it's Trace here. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, you you finally got your full season in of footy. Um, I'm just wondering, has AFL sort of, Got under your skin? Are you, you know, you're a massive fan of the game. You said you've been following it, but as a player, how how does it compare to playing um, Gaelic footy? Yeah, um, I suppose it's funny. Like um, I have been watching it for the last couple of years. Definitely, um, it's probably something that wasn't so readily televised at home. So you know, we, we didn't grow up watching it, unfortunately. But I just have such an unbelievable appreciation for the game in the last couple of years. And I think even more so this year after playing a full season, um, I appreciate the rules. I appreciate, you know, the talent that's there and the effort that's required. And I certainly appreciate, you know, um, getting a taste of professional side of, of sport, um, which is something, you know, while I do come from the amateur side of things, we definitely wouldn't have anything close to the resources that are available here and, and the coaches and the personnel and everything that goes with it. And as I said, I just have such a renewed appreciation for the sport. I think it is absolutely brilliant and it's definitely going to go from strength to strength in the years that follow. Brid, I, I just found it so great watching you Irish players bring something to the game that we have known and loved for so long without this many Irish players in it, you know, and it's such a welcome addition to see. I mean, for me, just that the speed, the dash that you have and the steps, the steps around players that you take. I just love that aspect of the game and it encourages others around you to do that. One thing um, that's been, you know, different, I suppose, is the kicking styles, of course, that you have because you've come from the round ball game. And just yes. this year, and we were talking in the past couple of weeks on the show about watching Cora Staunton really develop her goal kicking game with a kick that's almost like kind of a hybrid, really, of the two games. And yes. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what what the Gaelic players have brought to Australian rules. And I wonder whether you could tell us, would you take something back to the Gaelic game if you were to play the game from Australian rules football? Yeah. Um, 
Yes, yeah, certainly. Within the rules, that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I probably wouldn't bring home the tackle. Right. <laughs> I probably would get a would get a straight red fairly fast. But um, yeah, like I suppose, look, you have to definitely play to your strengths as much out here because we've so much to learn in terms of the rules. Um, and kind of, I suppose, just even the tricks of the trade, like, you know, the first couple of games, it definitely took me a, a while to get to grips with not not exactly the dark arts, but just the little things that your opponent can do to you that I wouldn't have grown up doing and probably would have been deemed, you know, maybe, um, um, I suppose, against the rules kind of in our game. Um, so, you know, even getting to grips with that has been wonderful. But I suppose just listening to um, my defensive coach and listening to Alan McConnell, like Alan McConnell is just unbelievable and all those little um, tricks, I suppose, that he has taught me that, I can take home. So like even little things as the ball is coming in, just that little nudge of the hips that you can do, like that is well within our game, but to, to do it in such a, a real subtle way. And um, even, um, you know, another one he, he taught me was as the ball is coming in that you position yourself so that you're nearly T-barring the player um, and your foot is nearly between kind of their legs in a, in a small way so that you're, you're not actually putting a hand on them, but you're kind of just nudging them a small bit forward. So all of that is well within our game. So even just little things like that, I suppose, from a defensive point of view, I will certainly take home. Um, and as well, the coaching tips that he has given me and all the coaches have given me in the marking and the ability to mark the ball here. I suppose our game at home has developed in that it's very much built on leads. And um, because it is a round ball, you never, there is probably... It's very, very rare that you would actually kick a ball high into a contest at home. It's always played out into space and played out into, into somebody running onto a hard lead. So even I think the amount that he has taught me in terms of um, how to actually mark a ball correctly and how to protect myself from going for a mark, um, all of those are wonderful traits that I can take home to our game and, and hopefully bring home to my club and, and teach the girls in my club as well. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Brid, now that you're over here playing, you're from County Cork, right? And there's yes. a very famous teammate at Giants from County Mayo, which um, over the years has been quite a rivalry between the two counties. Yeah. Um, you know, even, you know, their famous All-Ireland, we got best on ground a few years ago where County Cork won that game. I think quite a quite a big yeah. score it was. How has it been coming over and teaming up with somebody like Cora Staunton? And um, and especially last year when you guys pretty – I think you were pretty fresh in the program and you were in the bubble. You were um, – you, you guys were in that hub for that whole month. So you're around her every day, every morning, every night, every lunch. Um, yeah. How was it playing alongside somebody who's been such a rival over the years? Um, yeah, so I suppose first of all, like <laughs> – it's definitely been well documented at home how we would have been very much fierce rivals. Um, we wouldn't have actually had much communication kind of off the field throughout our playing careers because we would have matched up against each other a lot of the time. And um, yeah, there was plenty of scuffles, but um, very much, um, I suppose, backbone by massive respect for each other. Um, so, you know, I suppose the trips like... You know, we, we both would have had um, a couple of individual accolades and those accolades led to um, trips away. So they would have been international trips where you do an exhibition game. And I suppose just on those trips, we actually would have become very close. And, you, you know, you have to have a couple of drinks and loosen up a bit and probably realize that, um, you know, geez, she, she's as, as um, I suppose, she's as country as I am kind of when it turns to kind of our morals and kind of what we appreciate. Um, and I suppose just... How, how we would put always per, certainly put team to the fore. Um, so, yeah, I suppose just even that probably started a, a bit of a development. And 
And then I suppose she was over here a couple of years and we were doing an event at home in Ireland. And she asked me, you know, would you ever have any interest in the AFL? And um, I was like, geez, I, I haven't given it a single bit of thought. And I suppose that year I kind of knew I was retiring from Cork football, which was probably a massive deal for me after, you know, a, a very long um, career. Um, but I was very, very content with, with my decision then. And um, I suppose I, I was married a couple of years then. So, you know, we were hoping to start a family. And thankfully we were blessed with little, a little boy. And, um, you know, she told me, look, I'm just going to pass on your details to Alan McConnell. He wants to have a chat with you. So um, I was I was pregnant at the time and, and Alan McConnell um, gave me an old phone call and asked me how I was fixed. And um, I said, I, I might have the baby first and I'll come back to you and see how I am. And um, look, thankfully, I had um, a very healthy um, pregnancy, thank God. And I had um, an OK labour as labours go. And I was able to kind of get back training, which was great. And um, I kind of gave him a call around February saying, look, you know, this might be madness, but, you know, will we give it a, will we give it a go? So I did a lot of training at home um, in Ireland and I was constantly in, in contact with Cora and she was just wonderful at kind of reassuring me that, you know, I would be I would be up to it. Or I was kind of ringing her nonstop going, Jesus, this madness, like I'm 34 years of age, like what am I even doing? Like, you know, um, but she she reassured me that I'd be up to it. And I suppose, look, she has she had confidence in me. And, um, you know, she's just wonderful with kids as well. It's very obvious that she has a lot of nephews and nieces. So, you know, the second she met Cora Gogue, that was her first time meeting him when we got on the plane to come over here last year. And he just absolutely adores her. Like, and she's like Auntie Cora to him, you know. And I think she's just fully immersed herself in our family. And that has probably been heightened by I suppose the injury last year um you know I probably had to rely on her a lot probably a lot more than I thought because look you obviously don't ever think that this is going to happen and definitely something as significant as that and um you know I suppose not having my family there was massive and she she knows how close I am to my family so having her there was just huge um and I suppose it definitely brought us closer so we're in each other's pockets since then and um I can't say I met it because she's a great friend to have and she's a great person to have in your corner. And you don't have to match up on her anymore. Well, that's true. Yeah, that was a prerequisite for coming over to Alan. I was like, look, the only prerequisite is we can't wrap each other training because we kill each other. So, yeah. Well, I have to ask, since you're talking about the injury, how are you now with regards to that? Yeah, great. Um, fully rehab, thank God. Um, so I had to do a lot of work when I went home after, at the end of the season, did a lot of work throughout the season last year. Um, but I suppose I was very determined um, to get back and finish off training with the girls. And thankfully, I got, um, you know, two training sessions at the at the end of the season with the girls, granted with a, a red cap on me for, um, you know, not in contact. But um, I was just so delighted um, to get back on the field and train with the girls because they, um, you know, they really became my family, I suppose, when, when that happened, like I mentioned there with Cora. And I just I was just so happy to get back on the field with them because they were so kind to me throughout the whole season. So I had to do a lot of rehab when I went home, a lot of extensive rehab. Um, I suppose I did um, damage um, a nerve in my right arm as well, which took a lot longer to come back than I had hoped. Um, but look, it did come back. So that was brilliant. And thankfully, um, you know, coming back this year, um, you know, I suppose I didn't, I didn't try to let, give it too much thought really. And um, the first game against the Suns, I, just made sure I went out and kind of, um, I suppose, got a couple of tackles in because in my head, you know, it was just to make sure that I kind of, 
you know, I suppose took contact and, and laid contact in that game to try to just get my confidence back. And I suppose it was a battle throughout the whole season, definitely. Um, some games I was better than others um, in kind of terms of trusting myself a bit more. But I suppose, look, that's what comes with taking up a new sport and a new challenge. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm grand and, and feeling strong. I find strong neck in me now, so it's grand. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, congratulations to you coming back from that as well. I mean, that is a very brave effort. That's a, you know, that's a shocking injury and, and you know, very hard to move back into contact sport after that, I would imagine. So all power to you. Frida, I wonder, uh, maybe one of our last questions, what's um, the rest of uh, 2022 looking like and with a possible <laughs> August start? And uh, <laughs> We know where this is going. <laughs> you know, any, uh, any reflections, hints on what Brit's going to be doing uh, later in the year? Um, I suppose, look, I, I've definitely been trying to way up both sides of it. Um, our rent is finished here in Sydney on the end of April. So um, certainly going home is number one, definitely. Um, I have two sets of grandparents that um, are ready to squeeze a small fella to death um, when he gets home. So um, that's definitely priority number one is to get back and um, enjoy that. Um, so yeah, look, there's 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 farm against, definitely. Um, I suppose we, we put an awful amount of effort to get over here um, you know, the first time and then probably even more to get over a second time. Um, so, you know, if it was me and myself and I was um, footloose and fancy free, it probably would be a different situation. But um, I have a lot more people to take into account. So, um, yeah, I like I, I definitely think it could be something feasible. Um, but at the same time, there's there's so much so many logistics to try to weigh up. Um, you know, I've I I suppose coming over here this year, I couldn't imagine that I would have played uh, 10 games it was definitely furthest from my head I came over praying that I number one wouldn't get an injury number two that my body would hold up um, number three that I would get to grips with things and I would actually be able to put my hand up and be able for selection and I suppose um, yeah I'm proud that after a season that I played all 10 games which is it was probably far from my thinking coming over so um you know I suppose the thing though at the end of the season is I felt I had a bit more in me and I I like there's always that fight in me that I want to improve and I want to get better. And, you know, I would love to come back and do another season because, um, you know, you always want to see improvement in yourself. And I think especially with a new game, you want to see how much further you can take things. Um, because, you know, looking back at the season as a whole, was I happy with absolutely everything? Far from it. So you always want to try to push yourself in, and be a bit better. And I suppose now that you're a little bit more comfortable and confident with, with the sport um, just to push on. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I can if I can convince a man here, um, and if I can I don't know if I can convince grandparents, but if I could get them cheap flights to come over, maybe without the dreaded quarantine, um, you know who knows. But um, yeah, for now I, I haven't decided really, and I suppose Alan McConnell, um, you know maybe not being involved as well is a massive a massive thing to weigh up because you know he was the reason I came over the first time. He was a massive part of my reasoning coming back the second time. So. Um, I think it would be very difficult as well without him. So, uh, Brett, just two quick questions for me. Uh, one of them, just following up from what Tracy said, I, I guess does your mind boggle in a way when you compare to, again, playing with Cork and the LGFA where there's that stability for, for so long that you've had. And, and with GWS next year, as, as you mentioned, there will be a new coach. Uh, some teammates yeah. won't be there because we now have expansion and there's also a new exactly. season starting. Are you still managing to get your head around that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I suppose, you know, like you said, there's such a comfort um, 
in a number one in a sport that you know inside out at home number two in a team and you know your teammates inside out you know their personalities you know everything about them um last year I suppose I felt that I you know had um kind of a great relationship with people in the club and I certainly did and then this year to come over and there being 11 new players you know I suppose that's the thing there's just it's uh it's constantly evolving and that's the thing I suppose that I find maybe that I'm a bit institutionalized <laughs> from home and that I'm so used to kind of maybe my little comfort bubble so like you know there's a challenge in that as well and I love challenges I I don't like to shy back from them so there's a challenge in that you know seeing can this team improve can this team get better um I certainly think we underperformed this year as a whole um so you know you'd love to see if this group could um retain a lot of players and hopefully we will um you know and and push on next year but you know it's it's just such unknown territory at the moment and I think the next couple of weeks will definitely tell a lot and my final question from me, obviously, we'd love to have you back, but but should circumstances not come forth and this would be your one and only playing season, what's your favourite memory that you'll take away from your experience with the GWS Giants and the game of Australian football? Yeah. Um, oh, like, I suppose, first, of all, first and foremost was the team and the management and everyone involved in the Giants. I suppose, look, I had heard... Um, that the Giants were very much, I suppose, like a family. And I think until I probably went there, I probably didn't understand fully what that meant. Um, I suppose Sydney is unique in that, you know, it's obviously not, um, not um, you know, not that it's not immersed in um, in AFL, but like, you know, it has its rivals, obviously, with with rugby. But, um, you know, it's not probably like the home of AFL like like Melbourne is. So I think when you come to Sydney, you're getting girls from interstate. You're getting girls that are homegrown. You're getting internationals like myself and Cora. And it's a group kind of coming together that really, I suppose, are coming from different backgrounds, different um, personalities. And you really have to try to make that work. And I think, you know, being involved in a setup like that, it makes you a better person because it makes you number one, more resilient, number two, more kind of empathetic. Um, and it definitely makes you kind of respect where everyone comes from. So I suppose from that point of view, I've definitely learned a lot more about myself and my dealings with people. And I've um, I've just taken a huge appreciation for the power of the collective, I suppose. Um, and like I said, coming from a team where I know everyone inside out, um, you kind of really get to, get to know, you know, how I suppose you react in, in a new environment. So I suppose that's probably one of the greatest things I took away from it. Um, is just you know how you cope with things. So, and um, the second thing I suppose definitely from the game um, is definitely still no matter where you go and no matter what t- um, sport you play, the you know the power of team is absolutely vital and everyone kind of going towards the same goal. And I think the match that summed that up for me was the match against the Bulldogs. Um, it will just always like you know I've had a great career at Cork and I've had so many marquee games with Cork and standout games where, you know, we've come from behind and we've won games that we shouldn't have won. And I suppose the Bulldogs game is definitely up there with those. Um, You know, it's something that I will definitely treasure as as a great sporting memory um, for me. And I suppose to do that in a new sport and to have that um, investment in this group and to have that appreciation for this group um, is something very special after, I suppose, a year or two. Um, So, yeah. Well, Britt, thank you very much for joining us on The Code Hanger and being so generous with your time. Uh, We hope you enjoy your holidays and fingers crossed that we (laughs) see you back playing the great game of Australian football. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Britt. Excellent. Call that a take. Thanks very much for that, Britt.
Okay, Grace. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. We'll let you go. Enjoy your holidays. <laughs> no bother. Bye. Uh, but before we go, Tracy Kick, uh, Dr. Emma Phillips and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper, um, some sad news that we've just heard about um, with Susan Alberti, of course, she's been a champion of women's football, invested money into the old VWFL and was right behind that uh, early Bulldogs versus Melbourne exhibition games. Unfortunately, her husband, uh, Colin North, loved footy. Kiwi, you've spoken to him a number of times. Unfortunately, um, we've heard the news that he has passed away. Yeah, look, it really uh, was a bit of a shock, I guess, but um, when I heard the news, just, you know, he's, in our time, we come across some real allies and, and male guys who are passionate for the game and passionate for the female game is what I'm talking about. And um, and the very first time I met Sue, there was this lovely gentleman sitting next to her, Colin, and then as other people came and you know, said hi to Sue and got photos. I ended up sitting there talking football with them. And I've been lucky enough to do that at a few games now. I just sat with him and just talked football. And he was an absolute fan of female football. And even I remember Giants-Bulldogs game in Canberra in season one. And even then he was saying, do you think we can have more teams? Do you think the talent is out there? And he just wanted to grow the game and grow the competition. And, you know, he was always about what more can we do? What more, what more, what more? And he was never in a position of that. He was just a pure fan of the game and just a really lovely soul. And um, and I have noticed this year he was missing from a couple of games. And I thought, you know, it's it's it just feels different without him around, just maybe because it's just somebody I go and chat footy with because I'll chat footy with anyone. But... Um, but you know, as much as we love seeing Sue at the games, Colin was right by his side and, um, and, you know, he will be dearly missed by many in the community and, you know, especially to, you know, for Sue Alberti. Um, so you have Vale, Colin North, 